So interestingly enough, having gone from retail and gone from old school property, I've seen a massive change into the digital world and how people interact with the tools that they're given and get what they want. That's what nobody should forget, that the customer experience is the journey, but the desire is the beginning and the gaining of what they want is the end. In today's episode, we focus on the property sector and specifically how the way of building customer relationships has evolved during the last couple of decades. John gives us very interesting viewpoints on his understanding of customer experience. So let us know what you think and enjoy the episode. Welcome to another CX Insider podcast episode. This is Valentina speaking, and today Greg and I are joined by John King. Welcome to our podcast, John. Hello, nice to be here. Thank you very much. John, your almost entire career has been focused on property and estate management and property sales and lettings. It's a sector in which the term customer experience is not that widely adopted. Unlike in other industries like retail, in which businesses create um, dedicated CX teams or chief experience officers who directly report to CEOs. Yet, if there is anyone who can say they've gained a very rich experience in customer relations and have a customer-oriented mindset, it is you. <laughs> Especially considering you worked for a company providing tenancy deposit schemes and protection. That's a service in which customer relationships can be quite fragile. So I would like to start off by asking you, could you tell the audience a bit about your career in customer relations? Yes, and good afternoon to everybody. Um, I think from the point of view of uh, what Valentina's described, um, although most of my career uh, going back 40 years has been across the property sector, And I have worked in in lots of areas associated with property. Um, I have a, a confession. I started off in retail um, and I was trained by a, a big national company, high class. And um, the customer experience wasn't referred to as customer experience. Everything was to do with sales. Uh, sales per square foot in the retail environment, um, stock, turnover, even logistics really hadn't come into play uh, in the late 80s uh, um, and an early uh, part of that decade. Why I moved into uh, property particularly was by chance. It was an opportunity at that time for me to think about this business about what transactions needed human interaction. And I have a second confession all in one go. I never thought we would move into an area where the interplay between the customer on a physical level may be reduced into technological solutions. But it's quite clear that we are accelerating uh, massively, whether it's to do with prop tech or fintech, online tech, All these elements have come into play and have actually created a strata, a sub-level 
within customer experience. And that term, customer experience, is really about feedback, isn't it? It is about this gaming what our customers in whatever environment we're in are getting out of it. So interestingly enough, having gone from retail and gone from old school property, I've seen a massive change into the digital world. And this business about customer experience is about people and how people interact with the tools that they're given and get what they want. That's what nobody should forget, that the customer experience is the journey but the desire is the beginning and the gaining of what they want is the end. Yeah, thank you for addressing the, the digital input in, in businesses. It's something that I will touch on in, the, in my next question. And it's interesting uh, that you started in, in retail, um, as you mentioned, like almost 40 years ago. And back, back then, uh, customer experience probably wasn't a thing. But now looking at it from the customer experience perspective, what do you think were the main challenges, the main CX challenges that you faced in the property sector? Well, I think that the issues resolving, resolve, need resolving. If I think about things that need resolving in the property world, transactions have a lot of emotion in the property business. So if you're just talking about a high street agent who is talking between a seller and a buyer, that's quite a simple transaction. But there's a huge amount of emotion involved uh, within that one piece of transaction. And of course, then if you click on like bits of uh, Lego to the outside of that, all the other people who get involved and may impact on that transaction, the the stress it's often talked about that if you just look at a sale and i think lettings are similar although they're speeded up but if you just look at a, a sale a purchase uh, of a property it, it's meant to be as stressful as death and divorce i know there's lots of arguments about that but whether the customer experience is deemed to be suitable i think really depends on what the outcome of the transaction is. And I think this has been the main issue for estate agents. Let's look at high street estate agents getting uh, within their world uh, not a very good name because of this conflict between the experience and the outcome. And I think if we were talking to high street estate agents up and down the country today, they would say they still experience the same problems, but the transaction has speeded up. So we are talking about emotion, we're talking about desire, and we're talking about a whole transitional, uh, uh, transactional process, which is, has been now supported by new tools. The old tools were knowledge, how approachable you were, how accessible you were. We've moved to a 24-7 environment in property. In fact, I think we've moved to 24-7 in most environments now. And therefore, the desire of the customer is, if I want to contact somebody and get input now, you should be accessible. And I think there's lots of 
lots of these tools in the digital framework, which are taking up a lot of that slack and providing that interaction. But it's still it's still emotion. I think customer experience is fueled and has to be measured by customer emotion. Yeah, it's it's very important to um, to to know how to manage uh, how to manage conflicts and and the emotions of the customer. One challenge that I would like to address and talk to you about is the the digital challenge, actually. And in one of our episodes, we invited a CX and EX strategist, Jan Uriga. For those who would like to listen to his episode, it's called The Three Pillars of Effective Customer Experience. And he talked about the technology paradox. Now, there is a high demand on businesses to adopt new technologies and often what the top level executives want to is to deploy new technologies yet on the other side of the spectrum there are customers who say oh no we want more human touch we want more human input behind those robots so and yeah today their business cannot survive without technology but it's really about find about finding the right balance between these two things so where do you think is the right balance between the digital and human interaction in organizations yeah so that does bring a a big conflict within businesses i think businesses are realizing that they cannot do without technology let me reiterate that they've realized for a long time, but the cost balance between the benefit has been um, challenging for companies looking at their ledger books. And it's usually when they're starting to lose business or seeing their competitors uh, offer an extra benefit that they take up that, that particular challenge. And I think what you've uh, what you've alluded to there is uh, is is the, the customers want everything. It, it, it's it's a bit like fast food, isn't it? They want high quality and they want it as soon as the app has been opened and they've made their selection. It doesn't necessarily mean that what the customer gains in terms of that uh, experience is 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 the best in the marketplace. But it's instant gratification, and I think what the what the difficulty for companies in satisfying that uh, instant gratification is this business between having enough resources, and it's a horrible thing to say, but individual staff members are very costly, and there is a a, a, a move towards technology because it's cost saving. So eventually, you are going to find that customers are going to get what they desire in terms of speed in that transaction, but they may not always get the quality that they they really want. And I think if you look at the age ranges of different customers, I think a lot of young customers, in, in whatever their purchasing power may be, but when they're going out to the market, they're they're quite happy to uh, buy without any human interaction, but when you look at these high quality services, or shall I say, high quality but but with big cost impacts, um, investment, buying a property—horrible thing to say—but divorce and death again, twice twice in one conversation, not a particularly happy thing to talk about. 
but these are guided by heavy, heavy uh, human interaction. At one time, knowledge in the property market particularly was the key power, and individual operators within a region, agents in a high street, within a road, within an area, would have that knowledge to be able to guide the market and control it, and they would make a living out of uh, turnover in, in that respect. And then we've moved to this regional expansion and now national expansion. And we could well find ourselves with national companies uh, in the future who, who well, we're nearly there, who will start to mop up the whole of the marketplace. Now, the, the differential between some of these national companies will be customer service. Will there be somebody there to physically answer the phone? The banks have experienced the same problem. If I'm in retail and I need to, to, to speak to somebody to resolve an issue of a bad product or an undelivered product, will there be somebody there to help me? If I'm a lawyer and I'm giving personalised service about death, divorce, investments, I, I'm going to need to be contacted. So you're never going to get rid of that human interaction. We don't want to get rid of that human interaction. We actually want to release more time. And that digital aspect, lots of, lots of companies understand that what they now deliver is an online transactional operation. Whether you're buying a ticket, whether you're buying a pair of shoes, whether you're buying insurance, shares, all these things can be delivered within a transaction which can be controlled in the digital world. The key is going to be, how do you back that up? How do you interact with your customers? How do you operate in making things better? Because once we get to the point where everybody's able to deliver the best they can, it's going to be that customer service measured against customer experience, which retains the customer to come back time and time again. I couldn't agree more there, John, with how you rounded that bit off actually about how it's almost gone full circle. It started with individuals being that uh, unique differentiator with their local knowledge and their local experience. Then technology's come involved and obviously it's played a role. And it almost feels like it's gone back full circle now where, you know, you're competing again, but at that level when it comes to individuals being your unique differentiator in terms of the quality of service that they can offer. Because I guess one of the questions I have to you is, you know, as we've seen this rise in, I don't really know what the term is, almost, you know, technology that allows you to self-sell your house. You know, I see people advertising their houses on Facebook Marketplace, whereas in the past that, you know, of course, never would have happened. But so you've got rising competition from technologies that allow you to sell your house yourself as such. So to counter that, and going back to something you mentioned about employees being a large overhead for organizations how important is the role of a staff member therefore nowadays in the end-to-end transaction of a property well let me start at the, at the back of that 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 point greg i, I think they're very important I, I think they they rescue certain situations that nobody can see coming and technology can't can't do that on a pick list if you give a, mem- a menu of choices, it's not going to resolve it. But property tech and fintech can take 
up a lot of the uh, heavy loading at the front end. So I've been lucky enough to to move from, this is going to make me sound uh, very, very old, but window display advertising and local paper advertising, which was done in a very haphazard and almost childlike way when I compare it to what we get now, to the, the evolving uh, world of portals, property portals, where the advertising is, is, well, it's not even national, is it? it's worldwide. And that means that you can advertise your property in a suburb of an urban centre, London, Birmingham, Manchester. Uh, and you can have that seen within seconds across the world. Now, advertising in, in the old sense, therefore, has been completely pulled apart. Uh, and although you may need to have a piece of software in your own office to initially deliver the information into your own recording software, you should keep your keystrokes down to a minimum and everything's uploaded and and you've got this massive audience that you, you would never have had in the past. I think the, the idea that you can get rid of human intervention entirely is 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 not is not achievable why well what we've got to understand in that that form of customer experience is that people buy people what has been proved through the covid lockdowns so far is that the first 6 months this is this is my iteration of how i feel uh, the experience went i think the first 6 months we were all uh, in a in a in a, a playground of possibilities, but the, the back six months have proved that without the human interaction, without the looking into people's eyes, judging body language, and being able to communicate those fine elements that we've been given, everything has been dealt with in a sort of a very plain language sort of way, and people do crave human interaction. So people buy people. It's a very old phrase. You, you can take it that I said it, but somebody else said it years ago. And 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 we we are very gregarious, most of us. And although we are changing because we, we sit in front of screens to work, to entertain, and to make our own life admin work, we still crave interaction. So I think if you just take the physical process of buying a property just take that you need to get inside and people do crave not only looking at the bricks and mortar but they look at who was living there or the description of who was living there from from uh, estate agents actually i i know very few people who sell or let their properties where there isn't some form of human interaction so people buy people sometimes they buy lifestyles when I say sometimes, I think we all buy lifestyles, you know, whether it's celebrity lifestyle or or the chap up the road who's got a better house and you want to be you you want to be like him. So I think that human interaction is is critical. I I, I mentioned about this heavy lifting bit and the portals. So the online representation, the the accessibility, the three sixty degree video views, the access to maps, information, this sort of uh, information is brilliant. 
It's absolutely brilliant. It's taken the BS out of transactions and um, it's also taken away the buyer beware aspect, which still exists, but but buyer beware can be backed up. We can all do our own research. So you mentioned there about um, possibly the rise in, in self-marketing. That has been there for years. And in fact, I, if I go back 30 years, I think there was a company who said, we'll provide the board, you pay us for the advertising, and we, we charge you a fixed fee whether you sell the property or not. So the idea has been talked about for a long, long time. It's just more professional now. And there are disruptors in the market. In fact, there's disruptors in all forms of marketplaces, aren't there? And I think in property and finance and shares, you are seeing people getting involved to try and make it more accessible to, to the man in the street, man, woman, person in the street so that they can, they can benefit and, and, and they can make this work by their own choices. I think the thing about property sales, slightly different from property lettings, lettings are much more instantaneous. Commercial properties are much more geared towards business benefit and investment is, is another area. But if you just look at the, we have a, a, a 65% of people in their, their own, uh, want to own their own homes in the UK, uh, although the prices may be having an impact on whether that is maintained in the future. That desire to, to own your property means there is a very big marketplace. And yes, there are people saying, we can save you money. And then we get onto the argument about how do you pay an agent and commission and all that sort of stuff. But I think that's that's all part of the when you're choosing somebody, what do you want to get out of it? And if somebody's going to possibly achieve a better price on the sale of your property, is the commission something you should be worried about? Is it more to do with the service, the knowledge, the success, the tools, all those sorts of things? Or, or would you just choose somebody because they're half the price? So this is where people come into it. So it, it, it's it, the whole transaction, the whole process at the beginning is all about what do I want to achieve? How am I going to do it? And what am I prepared to put into it? And then on the other side of it, the professional is doing exactly the same. But what you want them to do is to deliver what they say they can deliver. For sure. and. I guess following on quite nicely from that and something that relates to every industry, regardless of where, where you operate, is, is customer conflict. And we all know that along every journey or every transaction, whether it's buying a TV or buying a property or you know, uh, subscribing to a service, inevitably, every organization is going to get it wrong at some point. And how you resolve that conflict could be argued as being one of the major opportunities for delivering or recovering, you know, a failed customer service or a failed service full stop. So, you know, in the property space, conflict certainly happens in various forms. But in your experience, how do you teach and how have you uh, you know, educated staff over the years on on how to approach and how to resolve conflicting situations with customers. 
have do you have a you know a golden bullet as such or do you have any ideas that you can share with our audience because i think all ears will be eager to hear that i think this is is the most common common uh, area of resolution because it is a resolution we've all heard the phrase that um you can put a lot a lot, lot of time into securing and gaining a customer it may take you a long time uh, but once you've got them on board that's success it takes a nanosecond to lose somebody uh, and that means you've unraveled all that hard work very very quickly it's all about communication that that's 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 what i'm going to say that is what people need to understand and it doesn't start with when the conflict arises. It starts with what may happen. And I think all companies do, to a degree, try and do this. They try and make sure that they're delivering the right information, that they're not trying to confuse, overcomplicate, or even distract the customer from what is going to be happening within a within a transaction so lay it out make it very clear make it make it understandable but if you look at most people's websites these days what they have at the bottom is an area that says complaint that's almost an invitation to people to complain but this isn't I, I, my experience is that these things are not a, 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 an issue for being sad they're an opportunity. They're an opportunity to engage. And in fact, you will probably get out of that conversation much better understanding of a customer's experience and issues than you will if everything goes well, because you may try and get somebody to give you a five-star rating on Trustpilot. You may try and give them feedback or you may ask them for feedback rather, and you may find yourself saying, well, we'll base it on what they say. But even if you've had a good experience, most people have moved on to their next transaction by that time. It's your customer where there is a, an issue where you'll probably learn the most. So how do you educate your staff to deal with that? You let them be people and you don't get them to write long-winded emails. You pick up the phone. That's the biggest surprise, I think, when somebody uh, brings to your attention that they have an issue. Uh, and it's about asking them, what can I do? I want to help you. What, what can I do to resolve this situation? <clears throat> Explain to me what, what's gone wrong. And then try and, and, and put it back together again. You will not always be able to do that. But if you've put all those efforts into it, the likelihood is everybody will get something out of it. And somewhere along the line, there will be a compromise. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And in terms of you touched there about educating that in, you know, educating those ideas and sharing those ideas with staff that you've trained. And obviously training has been certainly a big part of your career in terms of enabling staff improve us in practice improving practices around this area i guess i've got two questions but i can probably sort of combine them into one which is you know how do you approach training as such in terms of enabling customer service facing representatives to create that that you know ideally a long-term 
positive relationship with clients so first the first part of the question is that which is how do you how do you approach the training of customer service to create those long-term experiences and then secondly and something i think that follows on quite nicely there which is you know how important is simply listening in in those in that practice you know is that something that's part of what you educate people about you there talking about there just picking up the phone but how important is you know is just listening to your clients yes it I think the second part of what you said there, it, it is important to listen. So maybe asking clients their experience will, will feed into how you can make the service better. But sometimes customers don't know what they want. I'm probably going to get this quote wrong, but I do believe that Steve Jobs, when asked by a journalist about his iPhone, what research did you do before you put together the phone uh, so you could establish what your customers wanted? I think his response was, they don't know what they want, so I designed it because I know better than they do. Which I think for somebody who is of, of that magnitude, I mean, we look back on, on what he has done in that area and say, wow, he, he, he obviously had a vision of what it should look like. That doesn't always happen in all businesses. But I think if you are trying to produce an experience, you, you don't want to amend it if you've got a, a, a very clear vision of where you want it to go. And it may be that you're listening to somebody who isn't going to be one of your customers. And, and that's, a, that's a tricky one because you, you can't always appeal to the masses if you're not going to sell to the masses. So I think what happened for us in training, my experience of coming from what I was called dinosaur world into a tra- into an online transactional world, digital world recently, is that we used to do a lot of face-to-face training. And I mentioned when we started talking that you know people do like to meet people, They're, they are gregarious and they do like to experience that um, forward-facing uh, view of, of training. But what we have learned over the last year is that online training is so much more cost effective. It's more beneficial. It can be fed back time and time again as refreshers. It does allow people to still continue without losing time. So it's time effective primarily. But but you can get across in bite-sized pieces some very simple processes quite quickly. Now that training may at one time have been directed at uh, staff members. It may be directed at at, uh, people who interact with your services, their customers, but those customers also have customers because they may be reselling your service as part of their service. And then their customers may also have customers. So it goes a long way down the line. So actually, you're, you're making it more accessible uh, in, in that sort of online environment. But it, it does have to be done in a way that uh, allows uh, the knowledge to be absorbed click quickly. And people do learn very visually nowadays. But it has to be almost like infotainment. And although I haven't experienced it, I can very much see the role of, 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 of gaming within this uh, digital transactional world. Whereas in the future, we we may well see people purchasing 
and doing services by their understanding of gaming. I know from my own, well, I call them young adults now, but they've grown into that computer world and they're using gaming to entertain themselves and they're maybe going to gain that sort of requirement for future learning and also future purchases in in whatever uh, customer transactional world they go into in the future. I just I just wanted to quickly say that the exact quote by Steve Jobs is people don't know what they want until you show it to them that's why I never rely on market research. I I might try saying that to my teacher at university. There we are. Have you done your market research? No. Okay. Not necessary. People don't know what they want anyway. I'm just going to show them. <laughs> and I think it, it, it's exceptionally relevant that um, I think in the property world is the, the, one, the one quote I was given as a young estate agent years and years ago, 40 years ago, was people don't buy what they set out to buy. In other words, because they're entering a market at a particular moment, their selection is what is available. But they come with some prescribed ideas of what they will buy and they will amend what they want to what is available. In other words, just like with the mobile phone, there's, you can do a bit of research on areas and what size of accommodation you want. But invariably, I, I've had people say, I want a detached a four-bedroom house, and they end up buying uh, a bungalow because they're going to build it, build another floor on top. Or, or somebody who says, I don't want too much garden, and they end up with half an acre. So people don't buy eventually, necessarily, what they set out to buy. And I think you can apply that to a lot of customers. And that's why sometimes customer research, customer experience, and customer feedback, feedback being after the event, just shows you that you, you couldn't have done anything about it. It's the chaos theory. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, Greg, I jumped into your um, question. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> no, it's all good. No, no, I don't have any more questions. I've I've, I've badgered John enough now <laughs> with with with, uh, with enough questions. But yeah, no, uh, I think it's it's been a very interesting conversation today because I think a lot of people see and get involved in the property market, but might not necessarily you know map those direct correlations of customer experience and how how actually what you face in the property market in terms of challenges and opportunities it does map very similar to other other industries like banking or retail or you know even healthcare somewhat you know you're 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 battling with conflict you're battling with high emotional uh, and stressful environments which is what you face in every industry so very interesting conversation today and yeah john thanks mm -hmm. for for, for all of your your insights and ideas that's a pleasure and i think if people remember we are still people whatever environment we're in mm. we're not we're not bites we are people and um you know we still need interaction to to some degree and what we don't want to do of course uh, as we move into this high-tech era is maybe find some people are ostracized from using services so for people who have access problems people who are maybe of an older generation, people who maybe have learning difficulties, they shouldn't be uh, obstructed from still gaining the same sort of customer experience as anybody else. So we are talking about people, and there's a lot of different people out there.
Mm-hmm. Um, b- b- before we finish this episode, there's always uh, one last question that I ask every guest speaker. And you, you've shared so many insights with us today and uh, gave us so much advice. But if you were to pick only one thing, one thing that you learned during your career and that you could pass it on to CX leaders, like the one most important thing, what would it be? I think it would be don't treat your customers as digital information. They are personable and therefore they're not just a mark on your ledger. So that's why I've talked about interaction, gregarious. Uh, I've talked about face-to-face because we are in an era where it's very easy just to see your customers uh, as, as a pie chart or a dashboard or a graph. They're much more than that. Thank you, John. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please don't forget to like, share, comment and subscribe on your favorite channel. And I will see you next week.